You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline podcast. This one, in person. Woohoo! Yep. Jim, Jonathan, and I all in the same room. Uh, this is Jason Ratliff with you here, and we are coming to you from Denver, Colorado, where we just wrapped up uh, what I, I think we agreed last week on the show was the craziest single day, and I stretched a few days, but you know, day one of the draft and the Futures game on the same day, uh, we agreed that was the going to be the craziest day of our professional careers, and I think that it uh, lived up to its billing. It's been an extremely busy and an extremely fun past few days. We will fill you in on everything that's been going on from here. Uh, we're going to do it kind of in reverse chronological order because we started out with the high school All-American game, uh, and then we had the high school home run derby. I, I, all these days are running together. Um, so that was what? What is Friday, Friday, was the Friday was the game. Saturday was the derby. And then uh, Sunday, the Futures game, and day one of the draft, and then day two of the draft, day three of the draft. We're going to run through all that, but we're going to start with the draft, which we would, I think, guys say was the biggest and most important of all these events. Um, Jonathan, we were talking today on, I think, in a Slack conversation that this was my – 13th draft in person and I, I was surprised to learn that this was your 23rd and yeah I mean in person you know when I first started at MLB.com there was no in person to do so I didn't know how to count that I mean it was happening in the building I was in right does that count sure you were there yeah I got a you know I got a sandwich from the lunch spread on in the draft room that counts do, do I get credit for the years I was at Baseball America and we had the conference call piped in to our player of the year press conference. Sure. How Count many it. how many drafts have you covered? How many have I covered? Yeah. Oh, going back to eighty nine. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess for except for my three years at Stats Inc. But right. So a two. lot. Yeah. The first one I ever went to was two thousand eight in Florida. Yeah. At, at the Disney. Milk House. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I saw somebody say. Well, I think they said it during the broadcast even that it was the you know, first time ever there had been fans of the MLB draft, but not exactly true because there were fans <laughs> there, but you know, and I know a lot of people talk about how far it's come, but you see photos from back in the day when it was, you know, just a, a dozen people maybe sitting around in the commissioner's office and a conference call and then it went to the milk house and, and then it's been in uh, at the MLB network for the past several years. But this was before we get talking about the, the actual draft itself and what happened to the, the show, um, the theater, you know, I didn't get to actually watch the broadcast because I was up with you guys um, in the set up in the up in the stands. But uh, I mean, the, the theater was beautiful, right? I mean, it it, it seemed like uh, it was really a step up uh, from what we've ever experienced. You know, I have to say, you know, considering, I think I was skeptical. I just wasn't sure how it was going to work. And, and keep in mind that not only were we doing this for the first time, but we switched locations somewhat last minute, you know, it's, uh, we were moving from Atlanta to, to Denver. And so I had, 
I, I tried to keep my expectations low and it was, I thought it was great. I thought the energy was, I fed off of that energy, um, uh, which was, which was needed by then, uh, after, after the day. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I thought it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed being there. Yeah, no, I, I thought it looked great. I mean, Studio 42 looks nice. I mean, they do a nice job in Secaucus, but this was like levels beyond that. I mean, they looked really cool in the theater. You had fans cheering, booing the commissioner 36 times, which is kind of insane. Um, but it was just loud in there. I mean, and, and, and you know, and it, the players too. We had eight players there, which is more than usual. You know, maybe that number will continue and increase. And, and you know, seven of them got drafted, you know, the first day. But, yeah, I, I thought it was – in terms of like production values, probably the best TV show we put on the draft. And this is, I guess ESPN had the first two. So going back to 2007, so this would have been the 15th year in a row the draft has been on TV. Mm-hmm. And I thought by far the best looking of, of all the broadcasts. I, I did have a moment of looking around and thinking back to like when we first did any kind of video, anything on MLB.com. And uh, like we tried, I remember we did it from a conference room in the old commissioner's office one year and we had never done a remote before that didn't go very well. And then, uh, you know, eventually when we had the, the studios in, in our offices in Chelsea doing it and I literally like I'm announcing the picks and I think it was me and Fred Claire one year and it's just uh, talking straight. And we like, we had video of some guys and if you, if you could find it and look at that production value compared to what this looked like, I mean, a lot of years have passed, but amazing leaps and bounds. All right, so let's talk about the draft itself. Um, you guys did a your your mock draft. Well, I guess quickly talk about the mock draft first. And uh, Jim victorious. Um, I, I did have an advantage though because I did get to do my final mock while Jonathan was at the futures game. I will say that even if I had redone, I I, I scanned uh, and then looked at Jim's, and we talked to a lot of the same people. I am more than willing to admit that even if I had had the extra time, he still would have beaten me. Cause I think there are a couple ones that I had heard something like I, I wouldn't, I don't know that I would have done gone in the direction that he went in. So uh, I, as much as I would like to sort of put an asterisk, I'm not going to do that. You won fair and square. Thank you. So right off the bat, that's a, a surprise. Not, not a shock, but, and you guys had, you know, had Henry Davis, Going first in, in some mocks, right? I don't know if we ever had him going first in a mock, but, but the thing was, we, we've talked about this for weeks. We, we admire, both of us had Marcelo Meyer in our last several mocks. Maybe Davis was in a very early mock, but I don't even think that was the case. But we never, it was one of the things like we've talked about all year. We, we've been telling people, Jack Leiter, Kumar Rock are the most famous guys, but they're not the two best guys. They're the most famous. Similarly, we had Marcelo Meyer. In so many mock mocks, like I think it was like our last eight or ten in a row at least. But every time we wrote the mock, we would say the Pirates have not made a decision. He appears to be the front runner. They're looking at costs on these guys, and Henry Davis is in the running. Jordan Lawler's in the running, and Khalil Watson's in the running. We repeatedly said that. So I wouldn't even if you just looked at our mocks, you would say, boy, you know, Marcelo Meyer is the clear favorite. But I don't think. We ever portrayed it that way? We, we no, no, no. We framed it every single time. Like, there, there's no reason to take the, the the top guy in our rankings off. He's very much in the mix. He was very much in the mix. Neither of us ever actually put Davis uh, in that top spot. Uh, I 
did one early on where I put lighter in the top spot. I remember doing it just to have something different. Your first one, you had Jordan Lawler. Okay. And then after that, starting from May 19th on, Marcelo Meyer across the board. And we did mocks pretty much every week yeah. for, for almost two months. But, you know, and, and we'll talk about this more later when we talk about who the best drafts. The finances did play decision. They, they talked to all four of those players on Sunday to see what it would cost. Um, Henry Davis, you know, we don't know what he's going to sign for. I've heard that it may be for as much as $3 million under slot because if he hadn't gone one with Jordan Lawler available at six, I, I don't know. Henry Davis might have gone seven, eight, nine. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk more about this in a little bit. The Pirates used that, you know, whatever the savings is, they went big on day two. Um, but, you know, Henry Davis is a talented guy also. I, I don't think either of us would necessarily just take him number one in a vacuum. But we are talking about a guy who's the most talented college hitter in this year's class. Hits for average, hits for power, controls the strike zone. And he's got a cannon arm. The receiving needs to be cleaned up. But he's versatile. He could play different spots on the diamond too. If maybe, and he want he really wants to catch. The one thing that I started hearing from people that stood out about him is, and like, listen, I mean, all these guys taking the top you know, have good makeup and they work hard. But it was off the charts, and not it wasn't just the Pirates saying this after the fact. I heard it before from the Pirates and from other teams that he doesn't just want to catch; he wants to be the best catcher. And that you know, you have to really want it because of the work that you have to put in to be able to improve your receiving while also making sure that your your back keeps you going it, it's a lot so you have to really want to stay back there and, and he really does so I think uh, I, I think that added to uh, to his value to, to an extent Jim you mentioned the uh, that he could sign potentially sign for up to three million dollars less than the pick value that pick value 8.42 million dollars and you mentioned him you know, possibly not going until seven had he not gone first. That pick value, 5.43 million. So you're right at that $3 million. Number. I mean, not that you're going to necessarily just take the bottom dollar there. And again, I mean, maybe it's two and a half, but based on what they did, they obviously saved a significant amount of money on that. I thought, so, so that one didn't really surprise me. I mean, it's, we know, I don't know why we do this to ourselves every year, Jonathan. So it's like we're working on our mocks final week, trying to figure out who's going where. And then it'll be like Thursday or Friday, you know, a couple days before the draft. I guess the drafts on different days. And it's like, ah, oh, man, like still not hearing anything. And then the day before draft, it's like, okay, like we'll hopefully find some stuff out. You find out nothing new. I mean, maybe you get some tidbits, but nothing new about who's going one. And then you wake up, find out the day of the draft. It's like, okay, I'm going to start making calls. Nothing. And like we literally found out, I, I wasn't looking at my watch. Was it two minutes before the draft show started? Yeah. Um, and I don't know why every year I expect it to be different. You know, like, I, I guess, honestly, the two years the Tigers had the number one overall pick. We knew in advance, and then that was easier. But even with Adley Rutschman, I, I think there was some misdirection trying to go on, like, oh, his shoulder. Yeah, yeah, right, and certain teams, you know, do certain things or keep things closer to the vest and and things of that nature. And, uh, you know, in this case, I, I really think the Pirates didn't determine who they were taking until fairly close to the start of the draft. Um, not that they would have necessarily – told us too far in advance, but, you know, as of Saturday, they really didn't know. Uh, I think Sunday at lunchtime, they didn't really know. I, I think yeah. they literally were figuring out what it was, what each of these guys would take and then doing scenarios. Okay. If we take Marcella Meyer, and I don't know what his number would have been. I'm just making this up. Let's say it's 7 million. You know, right. Okay. Well, that gives us a million and a half to play with. If it's Henry Davis, so let's just all round off 6 million. 
that gives us an extra million to play with or Cleo Watson. I, I really think they were running scenarios. And yep. to be honest, it's, it's annoying to us, but it's good business. If you're the team is maybe somebody at the last minute says, Oh, I'll take $500,000 off my price tag and, and, and do that. You might as well play it out and see what kind of deal you can get. You, you don't have to make your decision until like we're in Denver time. The draft started at seven Eastern. I mean, you don't have to make your, your, decision till 705 or whenever the first pick is so why not yeah, see if somebody panics the at the end sure well we are uh 12 minutes into this podcast and i'm re- realizing that we could do the entire podcast on probably just the first round uh um, easily <laughs> uh so let, let's let's quickly run through uh, let's just rattle off uh the top 10 uh jack lighter went number two to the rangers uh Think, you know, the guy who everybody wanted to go number one, thought was going to go number one. Uh, you guys had said throughout that he wasn't going to. Uh, went number two to the Rangers, Jackson Job uh, out of Heritage Hall's uh, Heritage Hall High School in Oklahoma. Went number three to the Tigers, Marcella Meyer, number four to the Red Sox, Colton Kowser, number five to the Orioles, Jordan Lawler, six to the D backs, Frank Mazzucato, number seven to the Royals, which I think was. Is it fair to say that that's the first major surprise of the draft? Or? No, no, not yes, by yes. far. I, I think every other pick in the top ten, whether or not we projected it, it in our plausible. mock, we basically said this could happen. <laughs> anybody who had Frank Mazzucato even mentioned his possibility at seven, I don't think anybody saw that one coming. No. Yeah, the uh, all six of the other guys were all ranked in our top ten. Frank Mazzucato was number 39. Um, up next was Benny Montgomery from Redland High School in Pennsylvania. I went to the Rockies at number eight. Sam Bachman of Miami University went to the Angels at nine. And then Kumar Rocker, uh, number 10 to the Mets. So, And all three of those guys were all plausible. Like, those were all candidates. Like, yep. like we knew Rocker was going to go a little bit lower than fans thought. And the Mets were hoping they – the Mets didn't really think they were going to have a shot, but, like, they wanted one. We knew the Angels were taking pictures. We knew, we, you know, Benny Montgomery was factoring into Colorado, but like Frank Mazzucato, I, nobody I, saw that. I've gotten the sense, yes, just with Rocker at 10, they didn't think he was going to get to them, but they knew exactly what it was going to take to sign him. Like uh, my understanding is that they had a, not a deal in place because obviously, you know, the Diamondbacks or the Royals or the Rockies, whoever could have said, you know, we're, we're just, we're taking him, right? He's the best player. Um but the Mets knew what the number was and they had agreed. And I think they had agreed in principle, like if he gets here, this is, you know, we'll sign you for this. And they were on the same page, which is why they, uh, they pulled the trigger there. Now, Job and Meyer, I know both of you guys talked about, uh, or between the two of you, I heard talk about how much you liked those picks for different reasons. Uh, start with Job. This is a guy who, Seemed like I think without looking uh, at the tra- trajectory over the course of the months that we were doing our top fifty to one hundred to one fifty to two fifty list, but he he kind of rose up the rankings, right? Yeah, I mean, I think he rose up pretty quickly. Like he, we we not hedged our bets, but like we didn't go crazy on a high school pitcher coming into the year. Um, but then he shot up pretty quick after that and, and I mean it's funny we've talked about these guys so many times Jonathan that like are the guys in the first round I feel like yeah, well, you don't even have to break them down necessarily you know no no but all I was going to say is I wasn't going to break down his pitches but like I, I have my little spiel about all these guys and my spiel that I said on so many radio shows might be like 
lighter and rocker. Why aren't they going one, two, blah, blah, blah. And I'd say, well, the thing is with Joe, you know, as good as those guys are, if you're just going breaking down three pitches, the ability to control and command them, he's going to grade better right now than lighter or rocker. He's that good. And it's, it's funny because, you know, there's risk with high school pitchers, you know, track record. A lot of the high school pitchers in recent years, isn't that great. A lot of them get hurt. A lot of them flame out. What, you know, maybe it's just because you're throwing so hard. So, so early, but in the end, you know, the Tigers kind of an old school organization and they just deter, like I had a lot of people tell me how oh, they can't take Joe. You know, those guys, jobs might be in trouble. The team's struggling. Got to take a college guy who can help you quicker. Certainly can't take a high school pitcher and, and Al Avila and, and David Chad and Scott place. And, and all the scouts there, they took the guy they thought was the best player. And it was interesting because we heard for months, they covet Marcelo Meyer. Like if Marcelo Meyer gets to three, they're taking him at three. Slam dunk. Yeah. And then a couple of days before the draft, I started to hear we're taking you know, they would take Job over Meyer. And like it was even like I almost couldn't believe it. I was like, ah, we probably won't come to pass. But I was really curious when both guys were on the board at three and they took Jackson Job. Yeah, I mean it's funny because you know, in the mocks and and to your point, Job was number twenty four on the top one hundred, and then he's been in the top ten since. And because he kind of took this huge leap forward as a pitcher over the summer. Um, but, uh, you know, we had that information that, that, you know, Meyer, you know, Meyer over Job, but always in my head, but Meyer's not going to get to three. Exactly. A, you know, so Job made sense. Now, fortunately, my last mock, I switched to Brady House and, uh, and I asked, you know, after the draft, I'm like, why'd you tell me that? And, you know, they had sort of shifted their focus for a little while. And I think they, you know, it, it, it was, you know, teetering a little bit and some money may have come into play there too, but Job was always, has always been on their, on their radar. And uh, you know, whoever was pounding the table the most for him as the best player, and we should just take the best player kudos to them because they got a very talented pitcher. All right. So talking about the Tigers there and that dovetails nicely into something else we want to talk about are the best hauls uh, in this year's draft. Uh, this is something we do every year, take an early look at who you guys think uh, came away with the best draft halls. And I think the Tigers are one of those teams. Uh, and you guys have also mentioned the Pirates, the Marlins, the Reds. Um, how much of how much of the Tigers haul, uh, how much of that is is the fact that, that they got Joe? Well, you know, it's funny. I don't think it's so much that they got Joe because at three, you knew they were going to get a good player. But it's the fact, you know, Ty Madden was, I think, Frank Mazzucato was the biggest surprise of the first day in terms of how high he went. Ty Madden was the biggest surprise of the first day and how low he went. We had him as the third best college pitcher in the draft. Um, I do think he was in play somewhat in the 8, 9, 10 range. And then we'd been hearing, you know, you know his fastball metrics – aren't what analytically minded teams like they don't play the way you know that those teams want and and so like I, I was talking to teams in the middle of the draft were saying he's going to get to us we're not going to take him and I didn't quite believe it. I just thought there were too many teams on him. he went 32 so Tigers got him at 32 they got Isaac Pacheco who I, I think has a chance to be you know big left-handed power and a quality third baseman they got him in the second round Dylan Smith uh you know from Alabama in the third round Tanner Colep, who's kind of one of my favorite, you know, mid-round college pitchers. Jordan Marks has got – he's got really good fastball characteristics and throws a lot of strikes. So, um, you know, I think Job helps. But you were going to get a good guy at three. 
they got a guy in time ad and we thought could have been a top 10 pick as well. So it's almost like they got, they got two of our top nine ranked players on the board. Jonathan, take a team. I'll be a homer, you know, and the team that picked number one, you know, it, it, it's, it's funny. And Jim is usually the one who does the story, but the, you know, there's a tendency, like it's hard not to put the team that has the number one pick on a list like this, just by nature of having the number one pick. But in this case, it wasn't the number one pick, you know, alone. Um, you know, we knew that Henry Davis, there was a money saving element to it, although they obviously liked the player. I, I, I feel like we're constantly couching that. We don't want to make it seem that they like went like way a reach to, to take a guy to save money, but they're going to save a lot of money. So then, you know, it's what, what do they do with that money? What was their day two going to look like? I mean, and they, I, they killed day two. Um, it started with Anthony Solomedo, who uh, was probably the, you know, ranking-wise, the best prep left-hander in, in the entire class. Uh, we had it at number 17. Uh, and then they, they just kept going. Lonnie White was a guy who could could have gone on to, to Penn State to play wide receiver and play baseball. So a premium athlete who can play center field. And, and then in the third round, a round after Jim and Initially thought it was going to happen on day two, but uh, they got Bubba Chandler, uh, who I feel like we've talked a lot about as a guy who is not only a, a football star who could have gone on to play college football, but a legitimate two-way player uh, who a lot of teams liked as a shortstop. Um, they drafted him as a pitcher. Uh, I haven't read anything that they're going to let him do both things as of, as of yet. Obviously, they still have to go and sign him. It's just but, so tough as a right-handed pitcher and, and a short. No, no, well, he, they'd, have to, really they'd have to do something else. But I think he's just going to go out and pitch. Um, it was when we got to talk to him in day two of the draft, a really engaging yeah, kid. And, and we did get to talk to him because we couldn't hear a thing he was We couldn't hear he was saying. So. That was, you know, <laughs> peek behind the, the curtain there. But so just, they came out of the gate right there, like on fire, getting – you know, Solomato and Chandler, many of us had had in first round mocks. You know, Lonnie White wasn't in mocks, but a lot of it was because he, had, he didn't play a ton because he was also playing football. Um, you know, and then they, you know, they even got some day three, a couple day three guys. I have no idea if they have any chance of, say, signing Braylon Bishop. Um, but, uh, you know, but it's really. Those first three picks in day two is exactly why they took Henry Davis. And I think, you know, they had a plan and they executed it beautifully. And I think, too, if you told us they'd get two of those three guys, we would have thought, boy, it's a really good draft. Yeah. They, they did great work and they got three. And Because it was fun. I was talking to a team that was picking close behind them, asking what they were hearing at the top. And he said, we're hearing uh, Watson or White is going 37. So I was like, okay, interesting, interesting. And then they took Anthony Solomita, who, like you said, was the best prep lefty. And some guys thought he was the best lefty. I talked to scouts thought he was the best lefty. Mm -hmm. And the whole draft, I was like, oh, okay, interesting. Like, you know, maybe the money got too big for White and Chandler. And then they come back to the next pick, and it's Lonnie White. It's like, oh, okay, wow, this is, like, really good. And then the next pick is, like, Bubba Chandler. Like, at that point, I figured, ah, eh, I guess we're not taking Bubba. Nobody's taking him. And, and they got Bubba done, too. So – I don't know. Maybe they should have gone Will Taylor with their next pick and, <laughs> and just kept going. But it was it was pretty pretty good use of funds there. So Jonathan, you mentioned that when you know when we do this each year, that typically have the team that has the number one pick. Another type of team that tends to be on these lists, I think, is any team that has extra picks on day one, and that is the case with the Reds this year. Yeah, um, it is interesting. You know, and it's funny because sometimes. 
in retrospect, you look back and you're like, well, you know, you look, you look 10 years ago when the Rays had all those picks and that didn't go so well. But, uh, you know, the Reds did have, you know, they had three picks in, in the first night. Uh, and, you know, it started out well because I don't, uh, you know, Jim, again, we talked to a lot of the same people, but I remember hearing from them that they were hoping Matt McLean would get to them or someone like that, but they didn't expect him to. And then, then he did. Uh, and, you know, he was one of the better college bats in the country. So uh, for them to get him, and he's a very Reds kind of pick for me, a college bat. Uh, and then they kind of went high upside with Jay Allen, you know, Toolsy High School outfielder from Florida with their second pick. And then, you know, and then they went and got Matt Nelson, who from Florida State, who is like a sort of a safer college guy, but like a ton of power. Um, and they think that he can catch. Uh, and then kind of kept going from there. They ended up with, what, five? Their first five picks were all in the top 70. And I really like Andrew Abbott, the lefty from Virginia. They had Jose Torres from NC State. Uh, and, and then they got some good value picks a little bit later on. So, you know, it, it, not the, quite the, the fireworks that the, the Pirates had. And, you know, but I think they really uh, were using – the extra picks give you more flexibility with your bonus pool. And I think they, they, it looks like they're using it very well. And and they got the player with the steer wrestling uncles. Is that correct? Ruben Ibarra. That's right. There you go. That's right. That, that factors in for sure. Absolutely. All right. One last team to talk about here real quickly, uh, the Marlins. Yeah, you know, talking about teams that cleaned up on the first day. <laughs> so the Marlins are picking 16th, and they got Cleo Watson, who we've talked about being in the Pirates mix to go number one overall. We had ranked fourth overall. So that right there, I mean, they had an extra pick. They had the 31st overall pick. So they had a, a bigger bonus pool. And then they, you know, had some ability to go do some things. But that, I mean, that was one of the better steals of the draft of, of guys who slipped. And then in the sandwich round on the first night, they got Joe Mack. Who we, were, we had ranked 19th. We were hearing him in that area of the draft. Um, there were people who felt like if you're factoring in receiving ability, I'm not saying he's better than Henry Davis, but like you're factoring in receiving ability and offensive potential, you can make a case that maybe he's the best catcher in the draft. Um, so I thought that was great. And then, you know, it's weird. I'll be curious to see what they pay these guys. Cause I assume that Watson, well, Watson's gotta be over slot. He, he's not signing for 3.75 million. And Joe Mack, the fact that they pushed him all the way down to 31 makes me think he's getting at least over slot, but it's not like they really sacrificed much after that for a while. And then they got Cody Moore set who we had some teams picking in the bottom third of the first round, talking about taking uh, middle infielder who can hit out of Boston College. Jordan McCants, speedy slashing hitter you know, out of Florida, interesting guy. They got Tanner Allen, who is a senior, but was one of the best seniors in the draft at Mississippi State, just real pure hitter. Brady Allen, who is a gut field guy for a lot of scouts I talked to. Sam Prater. So it's I look at their draft, and I don't see that they sacrificed a ton to go get Khalil Watson and Joe Matt. Yeah, I think it's interesting sort of comparing a very different drafts to the Marlins and Reds, but one thing that stood out, you know, the college senior thing has been something we've known about for years, but both of those teams got value signs, right? Tanner Allen, Andrew Abbott for the Reds that they'll probably save some money on or were able to pick at a later round, but are really talented. These aren't just guys that they pick because it helps them pay for the other guys. They're good. You know, and so to be able to do that, I think, raises their drafts up even a little bit more. Okay. Quickly. Fittingly, this should be <laughs> quick. Let's talk about the guys who are going to be the quickest to the big leagues. Why don't you just each pick a guy? 
Okay, well, I just wrote that story minutes ago, so it's fresh in my mind. And the one thing I'm going to throw out first is do not expect Eric Crochet, first time since 2014 that a player last year with Crochet was in the big leagues the same year he was drafted. So that's the exception. It's not the rule. But anyway, I, I think the guy who's going to be first to the big leagues is Jack Leiter, went number two overall to the Rangers. Um, I, I just think we, we saw how much he dominated college baseball in his one season. Rangers need pitching. I think he gets there quick. I will say, if there is going to be a crochet this year, I think it's Sam Bachman at the Angels. Uh, you know, wipeout slider, 101 miles an hour. If you're going to do that with somebody this year, it's probably Sam Bachman. I think that's I think that's fair, and I also think that you know if the Angels, I'm just looking right now. I mean, they're nine games out, but they are over 500. They're competing. There's not a lot of pitching in that system, so I think that could. You know, if they want to get Bachman going and pitch him in the pen, I actually could see that. You put him in the minors first and see how he does, yeah, yeah, and then yeah, you I, see how the big league team does. And right, you make your right, move. of yeah. course. Um, there, there wasn't a lot of pitching in that system. There, right, right. <laughs> that's right. We should we, – we, we can – I'll let you mention that in a second. Um, well, go ahead. Do you want to say it? And then I'll get back to my uh, – Well, yeah, you know, I mean, just, just alluding to the fact that they drafted – they used every one of their 20 picks on a pitcher, yeah. which has never happened before. Uh, team has never used its first 20 picks in a draft on pitchers. And that happened with a few teams. Uh, was it the Indians took was it Indians took 19 pitchers and the Dodgers 17, I think? Uh, you know, and I, I asked you guys about it several times over the course of the day. Like, what is going on here? Yeah. It was by design. I mean, I got I got a, a sort of a, a heads up about it, or just I was talking to, to somebody with the Angels and I don't. I don't think we're taking any position players. So um, it was, you know, it was best pitcher on the board for them, I guess, and not best player. Or they just thought the pitchers. They needed. They do need pitching in their system, um, but that was certainly an extreme way to to go about it. If I'm going to pick one guy in terms of the, the quickest, I think. It, I'm going to take a bat just to be a little bit different. I think uh, the arms and, and Jim, you had the numbers in terms of. Nine of the last ten drafts, it's been a pitcher. It's been a pitcher. But um, of the bats, I think McLean is the guy who uh, has the chance to to move the fastest um, just because he's got a good field to hit. Um, he's got good plus speed, which I think you know helps. He, he's got tools that will help move him relatively quickly. Um, he, he's a you know contact guy, but there's more than enough extra base authority there that you're not worried that he's not going to impact the ball enough. So – uh, I'll say that McLean will be, uh, you know, at least the the first of the hitters to 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 make it up. All right. M- one last thing that we wanted to talk about here in regard to the draft, we were we were going to talk about your favorite picks. Um, have we already? Let, let's narrow it down to just your favorite single pick, if you can do that. Uh, <laughs> I have not thought about it in that fashion. Who's the first guy that comes to mind? I know for me, but it's well, you go first, and I'll, I will. Okay. I mean, I, th- I feel like I have to take Jacob Steinmetz. Oh, um, right. There's no excommunication in the Jewish faith, but whatever that would be <laughs> if I don't take him. Um, and, and a shout-out to, to uh, Ellie Klickman, who also uh, was tr- taken in this draft. Two observant Jews taken in one draft is somewhat remarkable. But So Jacob Steinmetz went in the third round to the Diamondbacks. Uh, he was a guy who, you know, uh, we had ranked right around there. I'd gone down to Florida. He's from New York. Pitched well. Um, continued to pitch well, uh, 
and, and was on a lot of teams' radars. And he is, you know, he is an Orthodox Jew. He doesn't, you know, ride in cars, and he will pitch on uh, the Sabbath, which is sundown Friday night to Saturday evening. Um, so, but they'll have to figure out how that works. They'll have to stay someplace within walking distance of any ballpark he's in, and there are things they'll have to do. And um, I'll share a quick conversation that I had with the Diamondback scouting director, Derek Gladnier, after the fact, he said to him, the coolest thing was that he didn't even know. Like they took him because he's like, he's good pitcher. He's big, he's strong, he's projectable. He's got like a curveball with spin rates off the charts, uh, you know, up to 94, 95. We, we took him because of the pitcher, like this part of, you know, of who he was, he wasn't even really that aware of. Um, so he's, he's felt sort of honored um, I told him that uh, I told Derek he's going to get you know bar mitzvah invitations probably for the rest of his life uh, because people in the Jewish community really pay attention to Jews who the Jews are in baseball and to have someone who you know is, is that observant now you know heading in the pro game that was an amazing story plus I got to speak Hebrew on live yeah I guess we were only online by then but uh, but still it was, uh, that was live fun. streaming TV. live streaming TV. That's my guy. All right. Yeah, you know, I, I don't have – like, we, we've talked about guys with backstories. I, I'm just going to go with two guys that I just thought were – Can you, you know, never just pick one? Well, it's, it's, all, un- it's quick unbelievable. On well, it's true, but I was going to say because they're, they're tied to me, tied similarly. Just that I thought were two great value. I, I still am, am just a little surprised. I, I thought Marcelo Meyer – he wasn't Spencer Torkson out of the Richmond. I thought he was the best player in the draft. And for the Red Sox to get at number four – that that just surprised me. And then similarly, we already talked about him, so I have to belabor the point. Getting Khalil Watson to 16, that, that's just a ridiculous value that that I think other teams will look back years from now and go, how do we let that guy last 16 picks? All right, that is going to wrap up our draft talk. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to recap the Futures game. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. You know what's a tough pill to swallow? watching your team strand runners. You know what's an easy pill to swallow? The new daily multivitamin from official MLB partner Roman. The peppermint-coated pills are created by doctors and backed by science. Whether you're a five-tool player or just looking to support your general health, the 23 ingredients target men's everyday nutrient needs and overall well-being. Visit GetRoman.com MLB today to learn more and bring your A-game every day. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Coming at you from Denver, Colorado, where uh, we took in the Futures game on Sunday. And uh, it was a... Well, not all of us. Well, <laughs> you didn't even watch, did you not even watch it, Jim? Jim, I was, was, Jim was not at the stadium. And I mean, it's terrible. I, I was yeah. working. I was trying to figure out who's going number one in the draft. And it was an all-afternoon prior. I was in a lounge where we had the game on, but I had my head in my phone most of the time. Yeah, Jonathan was uh, on the broadcast, so he, he was there, which made for an extremely long day. Uh, but I, I thought it was a fun game. Uh, I guess before we get to the game itself, the two of you uh, on last week's podcast drafted uh, home run derby squads, four players each, uh, kind of based on the fact that, like, for years, we've kind of considered batting practice to be like an unofficial home run derby in the Futures game because they don't have a home run derby for, for the Futures players. But these guys put on a show, uh, you know, obviously every year. And uh, so let's see. Uh, I know 
Jim won the uh, the mock. Uh, I'm sorry, John, yeah, Jim won the mock draft mm-hmm. this year. Uh, but Jonathan comes away with victory in the unofficial home run derby, uh, almost single handedly. Uh, Spencer Torkelson winning that thing. Yeah, that was uh, it was fun because uh, I think I got down to the field midway through the NL batting practice, and uh, you know I, I I knew I was in pretty good shape because yeah, Gorman had hit three right and, and marco luciano hit one for jim so two of his guys were done and only had four and all four of my guys were in the american Uh-oh. league so i knew i was I, a, I had no idea any of this was going right on. so i knew i'm like <laughs> I, I had a pretty good shot and then and then uh you know bobby witt god love him uh was really like just peppering line drives everywhere but was not lifting and separating so he only had one homer so i'm like oh this is going to be tough and then I think he and, and Julio Rodriguez, and I got worried because uh, Julio lost his, his, yeah, his necklace. His, his first round, his uh, Julio show necklace came off. And yeah. He lost his superpowers, it seemed. Yeah, so he, he still <laughs> managed to hit four out. Uh, I'm like, all right, all right. You know, and Adley Rushman had a, you know, had, had a good showing for Jim getting five. And then uh, then Torkelson just went off. I mean, it was, it was kind of nuts. And the, I think the best part about it, Jim, I mean, other than winning, um, was like being able to go up to Spencer Torkelson and tell him, I just want to let you know uh, that we had a little, you know, informal home run derby and you are the reason why I won. So he was like, he was very glad to have helped, helped out the cause. And I took heat from the Tigers for not drafting either Torkelson or Riley Green. <laughs> Riley Green, who was like, why'd you do that? I'm, I'm, I'm a singles hitter. He hit four homers. I yeah. mean, um, Jerry Kelnick didn't do much for me, did he? No, he had one. I thought Jerry Kelnick might be like getting back on track, something to prove, jacking the ball out, and I that one didn't work out for me. Right, right. And I remember, like, you know, not that this was like such a well, you know, researched thing, but you know, we were all thinking like Bobby Witt Jr. and Nolan Gorman had, had been in like the high school home run yep. derby, so that that's going to work to their advantage, and they hit four homers combined. So, uh, but it was a lot of fun. I mean. Th- Batting practice in the Futures game is always so much fun just to see all the players. And, and Jim, I'm sorry that you weren't able to be there just with the insanity of the day. But it was also just, like, Jason, wasn't it just surreal, like, being on the field, like, at a Futures game again with all these people around? And I'd only gone to – I went to PNC Park once in Pittsburgh, like, went down on the field. And so it, that, that whole thing was kind of bizarre. I mean, it was wonderful. Um you know, it's such like a wonderful place to be futures game batting practice, but it was definitely surreal. Yeah. It, it felt like, you know, for us, you know, like really being back for, you know, for the first time. Yeah. Uh, we should, we should mention too, that, uh, Julio, uh, had a little, uh, side wager himself with a friend of his, I believe maybe a videographer. Uh, he had bet, he had said that if he hit 15 out, that uh, his friend had to get a tattoo of his uh, his logo, and uh, he fell well short of that. Yes. Did Julio have to do anything then? I don't know if there was anything on the uh, on the other. It doesn't seem like a fair bet. No, no. So can I can I sort of shift to the game a little bit now and ask a, a Julio question? Yeah, it's very important because uh, I told Julio Rodriguez that if he stole a base in the futures game, this is not the most important part of the game, obviously, but sure. Um, 
that I would raise his speed grade. He and I have been going back and forth sort of jokingly. He's been working very hard on his speed. When you have him as a 50? I'm not what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, he's not, and, and he's not being delusional. He's like, he thinks he's a 55 runner. And uh, I like that. He wants the extra five yeah, half no, grade. Because he's working on it, right? Yeah. So uh, the, the best thing is because he was mic'd up and we're in the booth and Marco Luciano uh, and thankfully Yonder Alonso, who did a, a terrific job in the, in the booth, translated because Marco Luciano was basically telling him, go ahead and steal third because he he'd gotten to second base. So he goes... He has the base stolen and slides past third and gets tagged Check out. out. <laughs> so do I have to raise his speed? Grade? No, he's, that's a caught stealing. He okay. did not steal a base. That's what I thought. And yes. when he complains to me, I'm telling him that Jim Callis agreed with me. Sliding's part of your speed. You know, you can have all this great speed, but if you can't control it, what use he, is he it? Said, he's like, he said in the dugout, he was like, I just got, I got too excited. But uh, <laughs> the whole thing was fun. We had so many guys mic'd up. Um, See, that sounds great because I know we had guys a couple years ago when Taylor Trammell was MVP and Buddy Reed, but it sounds like you guys had a lot more guys mic'd up. They kept moving it around, and, and instead of like you know doing a tons of interviews, sometimes we just like let them talk and let that audio play. Bobby Witt, because a couple of them had you know earpieces, we talked to Bobby Witt as he was hitting. How did he do in that at bat? He lined out. I mean, we, we were respectful. I think we were afraid of doing too much, but he was willing. We were really like, he's facing Nick Lodolo. Yeah. So we helped him out because we were like, well, what do you know about Nick Lodolo? He was like, I know he's got a fastball and a slider. I'm like, well, he's got a good changeup too, so watch out for that. Um, so in between pitches, he was talking to us, and then he hit a laser to, 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 to the right fielder. As, and as he's running, he's like, come on, get over his head. He had lined out in his first at-bat too. So he hit the ball hard twice with nothing to show for it. Were you tempted? Pull Harold Reynolds and run around on the field, interview players during the game while it was in progress, as he um, did in the high school I, game I was two not, years ago. That would have resulted in a, <laughs> a torn hamstring, I'm sure. You probably also could would have been ejected by, ML, by MLB, and you could have gotten to the draft a little quicker. <laughs> Maybe that's right if they would have let me in. So the game itself, yes, that. Uh, eight to three victory by the National League squad, which is interesting in itself, I think, because. You know, when you looked at these rosters, and you know, I heard a ton of people talking about that the American League lineup was just absolutely stacked. I mean, Spencer Truxton was hitting eighth. Yeah, I, listen, listen to the starting lineup: Bobby Wood Jr., Jared Kelnick, Julio Rodriguez, Adley Rutschman, Nick Prado, Yoelki Cespedes, Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson, Xavier Edwards. I mean, uh, nearly entirely top one hundred prospects there, and a lot of them like top ten overall guys. Yeah, why were the Tigers betting seventh and eighth? That seems a little bit low for, for yeah, Riley and Torkels. Yeah, maybe somebody else got grief from the Tigers too. <laughs> uh, but but yeah. did, 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 I didn't watch this clip. Didn't the National League have the better pitchers? Or am I imagining yes, that? Yes, they did. They did. I still felt that the superiority on paper of the American League lineup surpassed the superiority of the National League pitchers. Gotcha. Um, but. But that was definitely something that I had noticed. And then, but the National League uh, offense just—they uh, were firing on all cylinders. Well, it was, you know, I was really happy for Brennan Davis. You know, I know he was MVP of the game. He had two big home runs. Great, just great guy. To, you know, another one. Of these you know, we rave all the time about favorite interviews. And I remember talking to him last summer after drafts. Okay, like, okay, now what are we going to cover? There's no minor leagues going on. What are we going to do? So we're talking to guys at alternate sites, and he, he was—he was just fun to talk to. Great kid, actually. And this is not why I was in, he endeared himself to me randomly on Thanksgiving. He texted me to wish me happy Thanksgiving. I had my number from when we did the interview. 
And, and he got hit in the head in spring training this year uh, by pitch, and it set him back. Like they were, the Cubs are, are very careful with any kind of injury in spring training. Sure. So he got off to slow start. You know, he missed a few weeks. Got off to slow start, and it was cool. Like it, it actually reminded me. And I, I assume you guys got to talk to him. Like when Taylor Trammell was MVP of the Futures game, and did he he hit one home run and triple? Yeah, because well, of the yeah, whole yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, <laughs> you know Taylor's this great personality, and he had a big day. And it was really cool, and he was really excited. And I wonder was Brennan Davis the same way? Because I was I was very happy for him. It was it was funny because he's standing out on on the field, and I didn't get a chance to talk to him uh, like post game because I had to run over to the theater for the could wait a few the, minutes for the draft and. Um, but, you know, they do the on-field interview. So he's he's on the field of, you know, however many thousand people were there. Ken Griffey Jr. is handing him the trophy. He actually, he was uh, speechless, but like in a very endearing way. He just said, he's like, it's so surreal. I can't, I can't even really describe what the, what this is. I, I, I ran into him later that night and I think he had, you know, had calmed down a little bit. And it just, he, I think he was very aware of like how exciting the moment was for him. And, uh, you know, love seeing you know the best thing about this game is you're seeing the best tools and the best arms and the you know and then having them show up was just uh, a ton of fun you know davis came in red hot too he's been tearing up uh double a tennessee eight game hit streak he's driven in runs and six straight games homered a couple times uh three times over the past nine games so he was red hot um i did not check and this would take a little research because futures game records are uh a little dicey to say the least, but I, I do have to wonder if the five home runs hit by the National League is a record. I would guess probably so. Jose Barrero uh, also homered. He hit the first homer of the game in the first inning. Um, Michael Tolia, uh, hometown hometown hero was was your call. Yeah, uh, homered in the third inning. Uh, Davis hit two. The third third player ever in Futures game history to hit. Two home runs, the first being Alfonso Soriano, Soriano, Soriano in 99. The first one in 99, and then... Uh, was it Diaz? Yusniel yes. Diaz? Yep, Yusniel Diaz. Right. A few years I ago. I only remember that because I wrote the Taylor... Was it in the same game where Taylor Trammell yep. homered and triple? Yep. That was an exciting, that, that was an exciting game. That, that was, was a cool game. We also had... I did the broadcast for that one. 102 and getting hit for a home run by Luis Alexander Basabe. Yeah. And, but what, what was really cool, too, is we had – I think the managers, if I remember right, were Torrey Hunter and David Ortiz, and they were both mic'd up, and they were just a ton of fun yeah. throughout yeah, yeah. the game. Uh, Francisco Alvarez also uh, homered, and, you know, he looked incredible in, in BP. He had one of the best – you know, outside of Torkelson, probably had the best batting practice, and he went undrafted. Our, That's right. How about uh, on the mound, starting pitchers uh, win and Libertor, uh, Libertor through uh, scoreless frame to start things off. I would have to say that Cade Cavalli was probably as impressive as, as anyway. He walked a couple guys in a scoreless inning but struck out two and threw, I think, three pitches over 100. I think he threw like the 11 or 12, maybe more fastest pitches. I think he said 15, according 15. to 19 of the top 20 and the top 15. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, which is which is <laughs> absolutely insane. You know, you, the pitcher who, other than Kate Cavalli, because that was ridiculous to me, Shane Boz was the one who just was. I mean, he threw a perfect inning, he struck out two. Um, he didn't, he didn't, you know, touch a hundred like I thought he was going to, but he, he it was stupid. It was just like he, he just came in. He only threw ten pitches. So he struck out two through ten pitches, eight for strikes. It was just nasty. 
and uh, and that was that. So that was of the other pitching performances. And it's hard, uh, Jason. One of the things like you've probably heard Jim and I talk about when you do a broadcast of a game, it, you forget like what like what actually happened in the game because you're like, well, what's the next thing we're talking about? You're focusing on the moment that's happening. Yeah, and especially because in this one, we were like laying out and listening to the audio so much. It was just, you know, it, it was very. Um, it, it, didn't happen sort of sequentially in my brain. So I had to remind myself, like, I think I remember being like, wow, Shane Boz was really good, but there were all the homers by the National League later on that I kind of kind of had forgotten about it. Right. And, and not to mention that you then did an entire three-day draft. That. <laughs> Thank you for that dispensation. Okay. When we come back after this break, we are going to talk about the high school All-American game, which took place before uh, the Futures game and the draft. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Xavier Scruggs, host of The Bigs. And this ain't your average sports podcast. This is MLB's first player-to-player show. You'll hear behind-the-scenes insights from guys like Chicago White Sox shortstop Tim Anderson. You know, I was the youngest, and, you know, being black coming up, man, it was definitely weird, you know, trying to have some locker room presence. I formed myself into a player I am today, so now there's a lot of respect that comes with that. Los Angeles Dodgers pitcher David Price. Double A was in Montgomery. We had six guys staying in a two-bedroom. I slept on an air mattress under the dining room table. And my guy, St. Louis Cardinals pitcher Jack Flaherty. My mom was scared. She was like, it's a scary place to be in because I don't want, you know, she saw what happened to Kaepernick. The best way to hear these conversations is to subscribe. Find the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, and I'm Jason Ratliff. Uh, we've already talked draft. We've talked futures game. Let's go back in time a little bit and talk about the MLB USA Baseball High School All-American Game, uh, which uh, featured the basically all of the best uh, 2022 high school draft prospects. I, I shouldn't say all, but nearly, I would say nearly all of the best. Um, that game was won by the American League squad by a score of eight to three, which we just noted uh, before we resumed for this segment. Segment was the same score as the futures game. Um, so, guys, in, in this game, Jim, you did this broadcast. <clears throat> um, I thought similarly to the futures game. I thought this was a pretty fun game. It was, and and what Jonathan was saying about futures game BP, I got to enjoy the BP the high school American game. I was down the field for that first time I'd. Been on the field, uh, I guess, since spring training 2020. Um, yeah. uh, or, so it had been a while. But, no, it, it was a lot of fun. You get a, a sneak preview of next year's draft. I, I liked the event. It was it was weird. The, 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 the timing of everything now is going to take getting used to. It was very weird. We're so focused. Draft, 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 2021, 2021, 2021. And it's like I had to take a day to prepare and, and like 2022, guys, like, like no, we were, we're 2021. So, but and you didn't have the advantage of last year when the PDP exactly up to this, and you guys saw or two all years ago, two years, two years ago. Yeah, yeah. the, the yeah. first the first time we did this in in 2019, Jonathan and I had both spent like seven or ten days embedded at the PDP. So I guess you did the broadcast then, but I, I was do, we, we switched roles this year. I I did the top performer story with yep. the switch, but like we knew all the guys. Like you had talked to some of them, you'd seen them perform. And yeah, I was like, oh, like before I did my prep, I was like, I mean, look, I knew who Elijah Green was. He's the top rated player in next year's class. And Dylan Lesko, who's the top rated pitcher 
who was the Gatorade Player of the Year nationally, first underclassman to win that award. And I knew who Andrew Jones Jr. was. So I knew a couple of the guys. But, like, there's, I think, 38 or 40 guys in the game. Like, I had to do a bunch of research and talk to people to know who these guys were. Had it been the 2021 game where we had PDP, like you said, that we find the PDP, which is kind of a – I don't even know how many days it's going to be this year, 10? It was three weeks before. Um, is another MLB USA Baseball joint operation. But that'll be after – the game, but no, it, it was a fun game. Um, you know, a lot of good defensive plays early, and then we, and then we saw some power power late. Yeah, so the top performers list that we put together uh, was Jason Torres, a corner infielder from Miami Springs Senior High School. Uh, number two, Roman Anthony out of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Florida, an outfielder. Number three, Nazir, Nazir Muley, uh, two way player, shortstop and right handed pitcher out of Passaic. County Technical Institute in New Jersey. Um, he looked really good on the mound. Uh, Tamar Johnson was number four on the list. And I think if you maybe if you ranked players based on how they looked in, in BP, might, might have been number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, number five. Uh, oh, no. How do you say this guy's last name? I, I got you here. You, it's you, Andrew Dukanich. Dukanich. Yeah. I did the broadcast. You did the broadcast. Although, uh, as, exactly. as Jonathan will attest, when you're doing the, the prospect color role in the broadcast, you just make Scott Braun say the guy's name. <laughs> right. And then you could say he, the right-hander, the Vanderbilt recruit. Yeah. Uh, number six, Dylan Lesko, who uh, Jim mentioned before. Number seven, Elijah Green, the number one uh, ranked prospect in next year's class uh, by most. Uh, outfielder from IMG Academy. And then Noah Schultz, a left-handed pitcher out of Oswego High School in Illinois, was number eight. Um, so back to the top of that list, what got uh, Jason Torres to the top of that list for you? Well, he won the MVP. It sort of kind of made it made it easy, but uh, he could really hit. I mean, he had three hits. He drove in five runs. Um, you know, that three-run homer, uh, you know, gave him a lead. Uh, you know, then he had another where he, another line drive on a hanging curve in the ninth inning to kind of put the game away. It just – I was impressed with a lot of these guys just with their balance at the plate and their, their ability to make hard contact, and they're all big and strong and – uh, and, and he was a guy who just uh, had really, really good at-bats. Then number two, Roman Anthony uh, just absolutely demolished a ball, uh, 450 feet. And uh, I, I will say from, from my personal perspective and having my hands on, on our on MLB Pipeline's social media accounts, that this, this thing just exploded. I mean, I think the fact that you know, people saw this – He's 17, right? I think he's a 17-year-old kid. Had a Most of these guys 450 were 450-foot blast. That thing just exploded on uh, both Twitter and uh, Instagram. And well, and it was interesting because before that, he'd have been having a terrible day. He, he, yep. he was 0 for 4, but it was four strikeouts. And I think they were all swinging. I mean, he was having a really, really you – know, Roman Anthony was not going to remember that game fondly at all. And then he absolutely destroyed a baseball from 19 mile hour fastball. So we, we remarked on the broadcast. It was kind of a nice way because he was – if you were not to be mean, ranking the performers, I think there were 38 players from one to 38 going into that at bat. Roman Anthony would have been number 38 on your list. Once, yes. One swing jumping. Yeah, I just I think because it was so ridiculous, that's why you know, we, we, I ran him up uh, as, as high as I did. And I mentioned Muley, who is a shortstop and a right-handed pitcher, but he came on uh, to close the game out. Yep, um, and was just nasty. Yeah, it was uh, it was fun because you know, listen, these games get long after a while, and and the game was kind of 
no longer in doubt even not that who wins a game like that matters but it, it starts to drag a little and then he came in and it was just like well hello it makes you when a guy comes in like that late in the game it makes you sit up in your seat and, you know it's topping out at 99 he was between 96 and 99 the entire time he struck out the side um one of his strikeouts came uh, on a changeup. He showed three pitches. Um, yeah, that was fun. It was a fun way to close things out. It was a, a nice exclamation point on on a, on, a, on a fun day. And then Tamar Johnson, I know, Jonathan, you were you commented when we were down on the field that you were extremely impressed with his BP. Well, he was just lo- launching balls, and he's you know he's not very big. I think was he listed at five ten maybe. Um, and he just was crushing balls, uh, and then, and then the game he had two hits the other way. Like he had a really good approach. He stole a couple of bases. Uh, you know, I, I just liked all of it. In fact, he was my pick for the high school home run derby, um, and he ended up finishing third. We'll get to that in a minute. But actually, I think Tamar Johnson may have been my favorite player in this game. He's he might be the best pure hitter in next year's high school class at this point. He also made I want to say a nice player too in the field as well. So he. He showed a little bit of everything. He was pretty impressive. We should. These guys are a little lower down on the list, and you know, this is one. Jonathan, like being harsh on poor Dylan Lesko was just so efficient. He only ranked sixth on the list. Yeah. Well, well you know what it is. You know, sometimes you have these guys who, like you know, are up like up at a certain level, and they just and it's through no fault of their own. They kind of just match that expectation. So it's not. He he just came in and was just like. He was Dylan Lesko. Yeah, that's, he, I was going to say, like, I think it took him 14 pitches to get through the inning, gave up a hit. I don't even remember, but I, I don't think it was that well struck. I might be wrong on that. It's all a blur now. But, like, he was 94-96, and you saw why he's probably the best changeup in the high school class. And, you know, I, I actually got to meet him Saturday. The days are all blurring together. The game was on Friday. I met him Saturday, which um, I guess I met him before we went, had the big production meeting. You were doing the home run derby. I was doing a production. I, mean, I, I met Dylan Lesko, talked to him for a little bit, and um, it'll be interesting. I mean, he's he's really really talented. Uh, I, I said, hey, get ready next year. We can start up the uh, high school right handers never gone number one overall conversation again. And and you guys know one of my favorite cities in the country because College World Series is Omaha. His mom's from Omaha, so it was it was nice. Bonded for life. We did. We, we I, she was thrilled that I was as much a fan of Omaha as her. And Dylan had just been to Omaha. He was one of six Vanderbilt recruits in the game, and he was out watching Vanderbilt in the College World Series. And then the, the last player that we should give a little time to here is Elijah Green. Uh, I mentioned outfielder from IMG Academy and uh, widely regarded as uh, top high school and potentially the top prospect in the 2022 draft class. Yeah, not, you know, put out the caveat now, like not the slam dunk that I think people – think he is you know there you see all the stuff about how he'd been the number one pick in this year's draft and next year's draft and he's very good we'll have to wait and see um but he did show off some incredible tools i think the the thing that really stood out to us and you know jason and i were sitting in the, in the press box and we were looking at statcast were his sprint times uh both outs you know one was a fielder's choice one was a ground out but 32.2 feet per second and 32.1 uh, 30 is generally considered the threshold for elite major league speed. So he is a 17 year old already running, th- you know, well above that elite threshold. That, that was, that was pretty impressive. He had a, had a base hit and a couple walks and, you know, uh, you know, didn't, uh, set the world on fire in the game, but showed off some of those tools. And I want to say, Jonathan, remember when we were 
again, we were covering things in depth more than usual last summer because there just wasn't that much going on. The things we were able to cover, but there was a lot of speculation that he might have reclassified for this year's draft. And a lot of people were hoping he would reclassify right. for this year's yeah, draft. Yeah, that's right. Which he, which he ultimately did not do. All right. Well, let's move along and wrap things up by talking about the high school home run derby, which if you're not familiar with this and the way it works, they do a first round. Um, and I guess it's, I guess it's varied over the years as to what, what day it's on and what time. I know Jim, you had the, your favorite, <laughs> that was the first derby. one. When they first started the event, it was at 7am and I found out about the event. I think as I was taking off from our, our former boss and he couldn't even tell me who was in it and I might be broadcasting and I might not, I did not. I was telling Jonathan, my favorite part of that, that home run derby, the first one, was Matt Waymar, who used to work with us, was tasked. He was going to run the game remotely. Is that- yes. by, 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 by himself, which I don't know how you call home run derby. You need somebody to talk to. Because, like, like, I mean, what are you saying? Oh, it's deep. Oh, here's the same guy again. But anyway, <laughs> it was so early in the morning, and I was there. I couldn't even tell if balls were going out. Like, the way the, the background was of the left field seats at Target Field, you couldn't tell if balls were going out. And then finally, they put they were keeping score on the scoreboard, which isn't right. But Matt couldn't see the scoreboard, and I wasn't connected to him. I wasn't doing so. Poor Matt Waymire, I remember talking to him afterward, had to call Herman Derby. From Chelsea, right? From Chelsea yeah. with no idea half the time if the ball was a home run or not. So I have, I'd have, i love to find tape. I never, I'd love to find archives of that footage. But, yes, it, it's, it's gotten a more hospitable hour <laughs> and easier to follow since Man, then. We, we even had StatCast on it this year. Uh, which was that's cheating. Come on, I was yeah. out there like with a pen and paper, <laughs> like like with, oh. a tape, with a tape measure running out. <laughs> I, I was just thrilled that I got a great backstory. Luke and Baker had been a pitcher pretty much up to that point, like had this great back. I was like, thank God, there's something right here. I didn't know who these guys were. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe didn't know who they were then, but I, I think over the years, you know, these guys, we now know who they are, and you know, you're not just getting big hulking high schoolers who can hit home runs, but get some of the best prospects. We had a mix runs. of really good prospects. No, Luke and Baker looked good taking BP while he was pitching with USA baseball. So send him up there. Let's get a couple of Minnesota kids. It was a little right. more random. Then they, now you get the cream of the crop. You, you tend to, although you get some guys who are just like big and strong yeah. and you know what's going to happen to them. Uh, you know, the in terms past of three winners uh, leading up to this year, um, Blaze Jordan, Bobby Wood Jr. and Nolan Norton. So, right. Yeah, we, we got some we, power there. Yeah, we had, yeah we and, had and some... you know, uh, and we've had guys who like who did very well in that. Who are like Josh Naylor, right? Did well in it. What? Right? Then he's in the big leagues. Yeah. So yeah, it, it definitely happens. And the guys who, yeah, granted, it's Coors Field and it's metal bats, um, but that was it was really impressive. Um, yeah. So this year's uh, top two, and the way it works is uh, there. Eight, I think they start with eight, and there's a two rounds, and they add those totals together, and the top two move on. And then the most exciting thing for the players, I'm sure, is the two that advance to the finals. The finals are held during the Major League Baseball home run derby, and these guys get to go out go out in front of the packed stadium. Um, and it, I don't know how many swings they get in the finals, um, but Jared Jones and Sal Stewart were the two finalists. Uh, both of these guys were launching 500 foot plus home runs. And like you said, Jonathan, it's Coors and they're aluminum bats, but nonetheless, these guys were hitting some 
monster shots. Um, Jared Jones in particular is just an absolute mammoth of a He is a human large being. young man. Uh, and remember, because uh, during the high school home run derby, Yonder Alonso also did the future was down on the field. And, and Yonder Alonso, he's not tall, but he's not a, a small, slight fella. And uh, he just kept commenting about how big and strong they were. And, and Jared Jones, it, he's a catcher. And, and he's a good catcher. Like, he, he, he had some, some really good throws, uh, threw a guy out trying to steal in the, in the game uh, the day before. Uh, it's just, he's just immense. Literally looks like he's chiseled from stone. I've got a picture <laughs> of him in the story right here. It's, yeah. It reminds me a lot of Jim Cowles. <laughs> no, I'm a little worn down now. Yeah, right. a younger, a younger Jim Cal. I mean, you know, a couple of people are sort of saying, especially because he's got like the red hair. There's a little like a sort of a Mark McGuire, just because he's yeah. such a mammoth human being and he could hit the ball a long way. And then Sal Stewart, a lot of people think, is one of the better high school hitters in the, in the class. And you know, like Jim, I didn't know much about any of these guys other than and the ones that he mentioned. Um, and uh, he hit the ball hard a couple times, and then and then had a you know obviously had. A ridiculous uh, derby. I think he had 26 uh, homers total uh, in his two rounds. Um, kind of just got into a groove and hit, you know, he hit the longest ball, right? He hit the ball 533 500. feet. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, and we should, we should probably mention that they tied. There is no individual champion this year. They both hit five home runs in the final round at the Major League Baseball home run derby and are coaching. Yeah, and I love that. Like we've talked about, you know, in other events, whether it's the high school game or whether even it's the futures game, that like the MVP should get to like take batting practice on the field with the big leaguers and things like that. These guys went from like their high schools, their underclassmen. Yeah, they're very good, and they've already been playing in front of scouts, and they're nationally ranked and all that. But they get to come and hit in the big league ballpark. Some of them had never done that before, and in, in this, when they're no fans, and then suddenly they're doing it in front of fifty thousand people. Um, and they're like, yeah, we're, we're I love some of the questions. I was a little, little nervous. My heart was pounding a little. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I think I would have probably swung and missed a couple of times, uh, even just uh, because of the nerve. So uh, I love that they that part of the high school home run derby is that they get to take swings on Monday night. So they are the co-champs of the 2021 high school home run derby. I am going to now. Uh, unofficially name the two of you, Jim Jonathan, the co-champs of this year's crazy draft slash futures <laughs> game weekend. Uh, tremendous job by both of you guys, as always. We knew coming in that this was going to be a wild, wild weekend, and it was. And let's go get some rest. Well, I'm just going to throw it back at you, though, Jason, yeah. too, because we like, share this honor. Well, we're on TV, and everybody sees us. And like it was interesting, the last two days doing the draft in the lobby of the Rally Hotel next to Coors Field. How many selfies did we take with people? People love your coverage, and people don't know about the hard work that you and the team back in, I was going to say Secaucus, because I, I feel like I work for MLB Network these days, the team back in New York do. Um, and so I think you, you you should be try MVP. Everybody gets an MVP award on yes. the podcast. <laughs> yes, yeah, you get know. a trophy. You get a trophy. No, we should, we should say the entire team, um, you know, the entire pipeline team, which is not just back in, uh, in New York, but scattered across the country, but a uh, tremendous job by uh, all of them. And 
I would want to start to name start to name them individually. The, the, no, the, the orchestra is going to start playing you off. <laughs> well, you'd also forget somebody and then feel exactly. horrible. That's, that's, well, yeah. well, like somebody who's killed themselves to work on the draft and futures game this ridiculous week listens to the podcast and you mention 15 people and leave them out. Yeah, yeah. So everybody, yeah. everybody, a job well done. And I'll echo just what Jim said. Uh, we may be the sort of public-facing folk uh, when it comes to this time of year, but none of this happens without all the work that everyone does, and it, uh, it does not go unnoticed. That's going to do it for this week's MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com slash MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.